call on his name, just tell him thank you. That name has so much power, especially when postured in humility and grace and the presence of the anointing of God, and you release the name of Jesus over our circumstances, over the city, over this nation. We ask the line of the tribe of Judah to roar through us, to us, around us. We worship you, God. We thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the burial. We thank you for the resurrection. And we thank you for the infilling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We thank you that you've chosen us to be a part of this reconciliation to the world that you haven't just called us to sit but to serve with you we honor you God we thank you for this morning we thank you for your people we thank you for the things you've done in their hearts and their minds Lord we ask for increase of anointing for your glory for your glory alone not for names not for positions not for titles not for for advancements or achievements but for the glory of Jesus in the earth that he would die he would receive what he died to to get from the people of God including their healing their past their futures their hearts there would not be one stone unturned in the life of the believer all surrendered to you father we thank you we love you Jesus would be open, our minds would be open, our ears would be open to you. I need you. More than ever, I need you, oh God. As you've been so good to me to show me your heart in so many ways, it just shows me I need you that much more. to pray. I need you in everything, Jesus. I acknowledge my dependence upon you. I thank you for the blessings that will come upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Through the warriors and the sons and daughters that you're raising, city, Jesus. We give it to you. are awesome they're just warriors and they don't quit and they just push and how many of y'all are thankful for them amen thank you for your service i'd like to welcome you guys thank you for coming and it's a it's an honor to be with you some of you i know some of you i don't know it's it's an honor to be with all of you and uh if you have children you want to send them back you can if you want to keep them with you you can do that as well uh, I want to invite you to come back tonight, if you if you so choose, at uh, 5 o'clock. We're going to have our little discipleship meeting. I know discipleship isn't a class, but Jesus taught an awful lot. Um, and we want to do that, and so we kind of leave it up to you. You ask questions, and we hopefully have answers, and if we don't, we figure them out. And uh, so we want it to be about what you're interested in, what God's doing in your heart, in your life, the questions that you might have. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. May you receive a reward for that. Yeah. Next week, I might have 40 water bottles up here. Everybody want a reward, right? Um, so I invite you to come to that, and um, if, you, if you're willing, if you're able. Um, we got some visitors back here. For y'all from Georgia, right? Awesome. Glad to have you guys with us. Y'all want to come say anything about what you're doing there? Or they're with uh, the Ark with uh, Clay Nash. 
So uh, they've drove a long way to get here. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, we're appreciative. So tell me your name again, sir. Jerome. All right. Yeah. Hello. Um, we're from Douglas, Georgia, and uh, we got a kingdom center there. And three of our outreach ministries is homeless, shelter, drug rehab, and discipleship homes for men. It's mostly for men right now, but we do have uh, church services that uh, ministers to the community um, Sunday and Tuesday night. We hold a discipleship. I'm glad the Lord's leading in a discipleship mode in these days. We've, we've been good about getting them into the kingdom, but not very good at uh, getting them discipled and sent out to do the Lord's will for the kingdom. And uh, Clay sent us by here, said this was a good place. And um, we're glad to be here. And um, we, we probably got some cards. If anybody knows anybody that's got some people that may be struggling with homelessness or drug addiction, and then we got a good spot right there in Douglas, Georgia, and we'll, we'll raise them up. Um, we're waiting for God to give us uh, bigger opportunities there. But we do have um, four houses right now that we're operating out of in a small church. But uh, God's been faithful to do a, a work, and um, we're glad to be connected with Clay. We get to be chosen to come up and help him build on the place there. The Ark in Arkansas, if you haven't heard of it, it's going to be an uh, awesome place for uh, adolescents to come and leaders to be trained. Um, we get to be a chance, you know, be a part of some of the ones he's training up to do what Lord has for us to do. And um, we, we've got to build the decks on there and be part of his uh, tent meetings and stuff like that. And it's been a very big honor for us to be chosen to do that. Man. I'm glad you guys are here. If y'all know anybody in the Georgia area, you can get with these guys and uh, uh, get their card and their information and figure out what you can do to send somebody their way if you got family out there, friends, or anything like that. Uh, or if you want to just take a road trip and go see them. So, all right. Thanks for coming, guys. We appreciate y'all. Everything you're doing for the Lord there, we bless y'all and, and what you're doing. Uh, the last few weeks, it's been, what, four or five weeks now, we've been talking about mind renewal. If you haven't had the opportunity to go back and uh, listen to those, you can on the website. If you don't want to and you're tired of hearing me, I understand. Uh, if you get it your own way, that's great. It's usually harder, but I'm not opposed to that. So, uh, so I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the importance of mind renewal. How many, how many of you guys so far this has been a, a help to you uh, in, your, in your walk with Jesus? Um, you know, sometimes us as ministers, we do, uh, we do just enough of a good job to tell people what they should do and then don't really walk it through how they should do it. So in other words, I've been in church a long time, and I've always heard people say, you need to renew your mind, and okay. And I didn't really understand a lot of that when I was young. I understand a lot more now. And so I want to help you through these things, and I want you to understand what it means to have the mind of Christ, right? A, a renewed mind is the mind of Jesus. It's not the Adamic mindset, and you, you guys understand that when you get born again, your brain is completely as unsaved as it was before it was saved. Your brain can't get saved, it has to be renewed. That is your responsibility. If you and I don't renew our minds, it doesn't matter how much theology you cram into it, it's powered by the foundation of unrenewal. So laying theology on top of an unrenewed mind doesn't make you spiritual, it just creates religion. So the preconceived ideas we have of God are often the things that keep us from God himself as we begin to grow because we're trying to pack him into what we thought he was, not what he is willing to reveal himself as. And so the former glories we had in our life in the past often keep us from where he's trying to take us because we're not willing to leave these things in our heads. We've established operative modes of, of, of being around people and situations and circumstances, even so much so you understand that when you go to your job, you kind of enter in this zone. Yes. Why? Because you've conditioned your mind to go away in some respects or to have to deal with certain things instead of staying engaged in what God wants to reveal to and through you. It takes a process of, of devotion, of perseverance to build the mind of Christ, and it takes years. 
I know that's not what everybody wants to hear. I really believe that not all, but a lot of the anointing that you see on men and women's lives that you look up to comes specifically from the fact that they're not divided amongst themselves. Does that make sense? They're not trying to convince themselves that what you're trying to convince yourself is true. They already know it's truth. When the Bible says that a carnal mind is unstable in all its ways, it means you're fracturing your anointed ability to be able to minister to others when you don't hold the mind of Christ in the posture in which you're supposed to hold it. So not only are you affecting yourself, but you're affecting everybody who's receiving from you. Because every time we don't take the opportunities that God gives us to renew our minds, somebody else suffers. See, you like to think it's a personal, individual journey with Jesus. I'm sorry, that's just not true. Whoever told you that's a lie. That's how you start, and you always maintain a personal relationship with Jesus. But Paul wouldn't go to such great lengths all throughout his epistles talking about your members of a body, and when one suffers, they all suffer, if this thing wasn't true. Anybody that disagrees with the statement that I just said, then you go home, get into a bad attitude, tell your wife what to do, and see how it works. <laughs> tell her to calm down, see how that works. <laughs> Why? Because somebody else's sin always affects somebody else. Your sin is never your own. And but yet at the same time, neither is your holiness. Yes. It's a two-way street. When we walk in the anointing of God, people are blessed. When we walk in the Adamic nature, people are cursed. We release the nature we, we thrive in. Your theology doesn't determine what you release. Your obedience does. Simply believing the correct thing doesn't bring life to people. The Jews believed the right things, but they weren't able to give life. It took Jesus who was right who had the correct mind to be able to suffer for people who weren't suffering, weren't worth suffering for to set them free. Do you realize the only reason you and I are here is because one man decided to renew his mind about what was important in life and live his entire life concerning that issue? The will of God. See, the mind of Christ is obsessed with the will of God. And the will of God always has his glory at its center and people establishing that glory. God can't be glorified without you. He exists in his own glory by himself, yes. But how is he going to be glorified amongst the heathen without somebody to show it through? How does God take out his greatest enemies? his people do you think God could have just sliced Goliath's head off with an angel why didn't he because it's glorious whenever somebody who is unable un, un, um, educated un, untrained for battle in that sense to take out the greatest uh, enemy Israel has nobody stops and goes what, was that the Lord And yet we wonder why we get put into Davidic situations with giants that are there. and We're asking God to release us from that situation when the reality is we haven't renewed our mind about the situation that God has placed us there to take out his greatest enemies. And we're praying for release when God's pushing us into war. Because we've made Christianity about ourselves and how we feel and how what we think and what we think is ours are for no more. When God is a corporate God. Have you ever looked at the prayer of Jesus, the, the model prayer, should be the prayer of the disciples. It starts with one word. What's the word? Interesting. Doesn't say my. And that's how we want to do it. We want my father. No, it's our father. If you don't understand the brotherhood of the believers and the community that God has established and took his blood to be able to unify, then you don't understand the heart of father. Because sons aren't satisfied until all of the brothers and sisters come to Jesus. Because their family's not complete. Because the mind of God is raging in them to have something unified. 
It's not something they do on their own or something they conjure up. It's the literal DNA of God inside of them that says, I've got to bring my family home. Why? Because they developed a, new, a renewed mind. You with me? <laughs> Your suffering is for someone else. You're just selfish and make it about you. That was a little hard, but that's okay. Y'all took it well. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 3. We're going to go through this real quick. It says, but if our gospel is hid, it's hid to those who are lost. If we are manifesting Jesus... We're not not manifesting Jesus to the, to, the, to the body. We're not manifesting him to those who need him. Which means this isn't about you. Which means if you and I live according to what we want and our lusts and our ideas and our responsibilities that we feel like we possess and we have and we want and we desire, somebody else isn't getting what God has for them. You realize a blessing only comes so that way you can be a blessing, not so that you can hoard a blessing. What was the greatest blessing of your life? Jesus. Why are you hoarding it? Like it's yours. Like he's yours. See, you know, Paul got to this place where he said, you know, I'd rather go to hell so that my, my brothers could be saved. I'd rather, I'd rather myself be cursed so that my, my, my brothers could come to know Jesus. I don't know too many people who've made it there yet. Because their relationship with Jesus is about them and their life and their family and their marriage and their kids and their job and their money and their finances and their this and their that. It says, In whom the God of this world has blinded, verse 4, the minds of them which believe not. What are we talking about? We're talking about mind renewal, right? The God of this world has blinded their minds. It takes, uh, uh, it takes the mind of God to reveal an, an Adamic mind. If the mind of God isn't present, the Adamic mind is constant. So how can you say that? Because we all had Adamic brains when Jesus came and it took him coming on the scene thinking differently to expose our wrong method of thinking. When the mind of God comes into a scenario, everything is forced to either bow or fight. There's an establishment that happens with the mind of Christ in a situation. When you and I manifest that light, it's no longer hidden to those who are lost. And the ones who have been blinded by darkness now see and they're forced to make a choice. This is why the devil doesn't want you and I operating in the power of the mind of Jesus because if we do, it compromises his position in their heads. That's why he would love to get you all worked up about your stresses and your emotions and your life and your abilities and your this and your that because as long as you're thinking about you, they aren't reached. I've decided a long time ago, my life in Christ is not about polishing my morality. I'm no longer concerned with my holiness. I'm concerned with his. Jesus spoke to me one day and he said, my relationship with you is stronger than yours is with me. Which one are you going to trust? Basically, he was saying, you're not trusting me. And God asks you a question like that. It's not because he's asking you for a choice. (laughs) He's exposing where you're really at. I had to repent, so. Sorry, Jesus. See, a blinded mind is a selfish mind, a self-centered mind. Do you realize you can have a self-centered mind as a believer? This is why people don't reach their potential because they're living outside of their possibilities instead of his. See, what Jesus says, with God, what? All things are possible. But we don't believe that. 
I mean, theologically, we agree because we don't want to look stupid. We'll quote it, confess it, make a bumper sticker out of it, a refrigerator magnet, we'll plastic. But we, I mean, we don't really believe. You know why we don't believe that? Because when we're encountered with Goliath, we stop and go, did I do something wrong? <laughs> As soon as conflict happens in our life, we immediately go back to self-interrogation to find out whether we're in sin or what we did wrong or what, we, what, what happened in our life, and, what, and we make it about us, and God's like, are you kidding me? I put you there because I need you there. And if you have something wrong with you there, the there will expose it. Yeah. Thus giving you more opportunity to grow. You can't lose. Do you see how the, this is the mind of Christ? Are, are you with me? I think I'm, I'm, really, I'm either really confusing you or like shocking you. I don't know. Verse 5. We do not preach ourselves. It's funny because most people do. <laughs> We make it about ourselves. I mean, even in conversation, we come in with community even sometimes, and, and, the, and we go to talk, start talking about it, and the first thing we make our conversation about is what? You know, that's preaching. Yeah, I had this problem at work this week, and they just did this, and they just did that, and I had to do this, and I had to do that. I mean, that's all fine and good, but you realize that you, you don't, you're not exhibiting the mind of God in that situation. You know what the mind of Christ is? Is to think about somebody else more than you think about yourself. Hey, how's your week? And you let them dump it on you. Why? Because you have the power to purify it. They don't. See that? See, I come to Jesus all the time and dump a lot of stuff on him. Why? Because he's got the ability to take it. And he says, do that. Come, come to me. Pour your stuff on me. And we're supposed to be like who? So at some point, you're supposed to be somebody else's relief, peace. Sons of God are what? Make peace. Has to be made. Doesn't it? All right. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, we preach ourselves are your servants. What does it say? We preach that I am your servant. What do you need from me? How can I bring the gospel of Jesus to your realm, to your marriage, to your life? We don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus and ourselves servants to you. Yes. That's the gospel. That's good news. That's the mind of Christ. Not considering the hell it has to endure in order to be able to alleviate somebody else's. What do fathers do? What do mothers do? They bear burdens so the children can be free. This is why Paul said you don't have many fathers. You got many teachers. You don't have many fathers. You know what he was really saying? He's like, he wasn't saying I'm the only father you have. He was saying some people in your life, all they want to do is teach you so they can be over you and usurp themselves under you. But I'm here to serve you. I will shoulder what you're not shouldering so that you can be free. I'll fill up that which is lacking in the body of Christ, which is suffering. Still the same thing that's lacking in New Testament Christianity for America. Amen, Chad. That's good. Well, we'll carry on. <laughs> Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is that? It's Christ. You have riches inside of you. Why? Because you have poverty outside of you. The world is poor. You have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be of him and not of us. Again, it's not about us. 
It's about him. It's about what he's placed in us for others. You see that this is the developing of the mind of Christ. So when you get in a situation where you realize, I'm making this all about me, that's when you stop and realize, whoa, I got to change my thought process. You realize that you can't change your thought process when you're in your prayer time, having the Holy Spirit all over you, and you're weeping and crying and just loving, and Jesus is That's not the time you change your thought process. That's the time that you dig into the treasure that's in you. The time to change your thought process is when you realize you're thinking wrong. But that's when we excuse ourselves for not having to exchange our thoughts because somebody hurt me. Or they shouldn't have said that. Or they took my parking spot. See, Jesus never stood up for his rights. He stood up for yours. Somebody takes your parking spot, you should at some point in your life begin to get to a place where you think, thank God that they got a good spot. Thank you, Jesus, for giving that to them. And thank you that you let me walk because I have two legs that work. Yeah, some of y'all are really convicted. That's okay. All right. Listen to this. Verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. <laughs> some of y'all think you're, you're, right, you're wrong with God in certain parts of your life when you're perplexed. You're like, oh, I'm just so full of confusion. No, perplexion is different than confusion. Sometimes it's okay to be perplexed. I have no clue what's happening right now. Some people say, what's God doing? I have no idea. But I'm sure if he told me, I'd mess it up. That's one thing I'm sure of. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Listen to all this stuff. We always, what does that word mean? Always, sometimes? Always. It says always. Does your Bible say always? Always. We always what? We bear about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not fun. We always bear the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ in our body. Always. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our body. You can't have the glory of God in and through you unless you have the death of God completely consume you. You have got to subjugate this thing and this thing to be able to release the life of God. Some of, some of our anointing is inhibited just simply because we're not bearing the thing that we're supposed to bear in Christ. We're excusing ourselves from the reality that brings the manifestation of Jesus that we're actually praying for. And why do we have the life of God being manifest in our body? Verse 11. We which live are always being to delivered unto death. <laughs> this is the gospel. For we who live are always being delivered to death for Jesus' sake. I want to be in ministry. Do you really? See, everybody thinks that holding this microphone gives you some sort of clout. No, it just doubles your damnation if you do it wrong. That's all it does. I will receive double judgment when I face God. And that scares me. That's why I don't pull punches and I'm not afraid to step on toes because your anger is so much less than his. I don't fear you. You shoot me, kill me, beat me up. I don't, it's not going to change what I'm doing. But I fear him because he cares for you. And if I lie to you, I'm hurting one of his kids. You hurt one of my kids, I'll go to prison. Jesus loves you more than I love my kids. Why do we bear about the death of Jesus in our body? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The next verse. We are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Verse 12 is a summation. Look at this. So then death is working in us, but life is working in you. You know why your life sucks? So someone else's doesn't. 
that's not, I don't like that message. I'm not going to put any money in the box. That's okay, I don't want it anyway. (laughs) What you go through is for other people. Bitterness just makes it about you. Well, they shouldn't have done that to me. You're probably right, but now do you guess what? If you actually come through that with the mind of Christ and come through that reality with the mind of Jesus, you have the authority now to deliver somebody else who went through the same thing. Many of you lost your authority because you gave it to bitterness. Your suffering was in vain. You went through something hard and then you you pulled it upon and you put it upon yourself. When God let you go through that thing so that you'd have the authority to lead somebody else out of it. But you just made it about you because it hurt. Well, the cross hurt Jesus pretty bad too, but he never made it about himself. How many of you ever prayed the prayer, I want to be like you, Jesus? Some of y'all need to pray that prayer. <laughs> Surprised. More, should, more hands should have been up. I'll pray for you that you pray that prayer. But when you start praying that prayer, oh, it gets so hard. Because you know what Jesus does? He takes on the sin of other people. Make me like you, Jesus. He's like, uh, that can't happen. Unless you begin to serve those who aren't worth being served. The ones who hurt you, betrayed you, abandoned you, lied about you, deceived you. Man, I want to be like Jesus where he's able to walk straight up to Judas with no guile, give him a kiss and call him a friend. well who hurt us and who abandoned us and who betrayed us when God says I'm just trying to give you the authority you're praying for you're just wandering in the wilderness instead you should just come out the other side see many people's breakthroughs don't occur because we haven't broke through for them somebody's waiting on you to get through your season You know that happens even in the flesh because it's a spiritual principle? You realize in, in, in May 6, 1954, there was a guy named Roger Bannister that broke the four-minute mile. Ran a mile in under four minutes. People said before that it could never be done. Impossible. Do you realize within the next four months, 21 people broke the four-minute mile? <laughs> Don't tell me your breakthrough doesn't affect somebody else. If it can happen in the flesh, it can happen in the spirit. Somebody's waiting on you to get your mind straight. God put people in your life, your work, your reality, and they're literally praying for you, but they don't even know it's you because you haven't manifested yourself that way yet. People are asking God for a sign and you're sitting right there, but your mind is so consumed on whether you're a good enough Christian or not, you can't even see the gospel is hid to them. We bear such a great responsibility. To much is given, much is required. And the cross was the greatest thing God could have ever given us. The sacrifice of his son. This is not about your personal relationship with Jesus. That, that's, that's separate. That's just you and him loving on each other. The mandate goes beyond that. It's empowered by it, but it's, it goes beyond it. You understand? Personal relationship with Jesus is like the relationship you have with your wife. It can be awesome, it can be great, but if you don't raise your kids, you're a lousy father. Make sense? You sit there and boast. The church boasts of her her marriage with Jesus while she's not taking care of God's children. 
And I've said this over and over again. My brother back there said it. The church is absolutely famous for making babies, but she's terrible at being father. Because she's not willing to shoulder something else for somebody else. She's only willing to shoulder what goes on in her life. She wants everybody else to fix her. No, you serve me. No, and, and, no, and the other person says, no, you serve me. But if both, person, both parties involved are like, no, let me serve you, it's crazy how much gets done. Paul, Paul insinuates it all through his, apostles, or his epistles. Deference, deference, deference. You take your rights and you lower them down, and you do not demand what is rightfully yours so that someone else can actually receive the gospel of Jesus. Which means in those situations when you're angry, you don't have the right to get angry because they need the gospel. Their rights trump ours. That's not the good old American way, though, is it? Verse 15. All things are for your sake. This is what Paul's saying. He's writing this to the Corinthians, and he's saying, everything I'm doing is for your sake, not mine. This is a guy who got beat over 300 individual times. 300 lashes he took to his body for the gospel, for these people. Shipwrecked three times. You spend 24 hours in salt water, your your skin gets pickled. It sloughs off and it hurts. It's difficult to go through. He says, everything is for your sake, so that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving of many redounding to the glory of God. What's the goal? That through everything that we're going through brings thanksgiving in everybody who's around us so that God may be glorified. Why? Because we're all a family. <laughs> Our problem is we're just trying to outdo each other. You know why people try to outdo each other in ministry? Because they have no sense of identity. They have to prove themselves why they're more anointed or better, a better preacher, better this, better that, than the the church down the road or somebody else. Why? Because they're using ministry to offset their personal insecurity. I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm a son. I know that. My job is to serve you. If you're better than me, praise God. We need better people. I'm praying that God raises up in this body people more anointed than I am. So I can just pass the baton and move on. If I don't leave something greater than myself, then I failed at the discipleship. What good father doesn't want his children to outrun him? It's the Davidic heart. Isn't it? Oh, man. It says, for which cause, verse 16, we don't faint. Even though our outward man is perishing through all this suffering, the inward man is renewed day by day. Yeah, they're saying you're going to have hard weeks. When you're serving people like this, it's going to be so hard because they're going to take from you and beat you and extract from you, and everything's going to be difficult for you. But guess what? Inwardly, you're being renewed. But if you haven't learned to live in the inward man, you're going to die an outward death because that stuff will murder you. If you don't know how to have properly hold it in your head. You with me? For our light affliction, which is just but for a moment, that's our entire life, works for us a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The mind of Christ is obsessed with eternity and it does not calculate the payment on earth. There is no payment in that mindset. There is no sacrifice too great for God to be glorified in his people. You want to serve God? It's not by ministry. You serve people. The greatest way to serve God is to serve his people. You can try to love me all you want, and that's only going to go so far. But if I see you loving and taking care of my kids, my heart opens to you in a way that it will not on a personal level. You parents understand. Yet we treat each other like garbage, and we expect God to come in and bless us. No, that's why there's so much of the horizontal relationship that it's not right, your vertical's off. Everybody elevates and deifies the, the, the vertical relationship with Jesus when Jesus actually says, no, if your horizontal's off, your vertical's off already. Amen. 
The mind of Christ is an eternal mind. It doesn't calculate physical price. Oh, man, turn to John chapter 4. The mind of Christ has trained itself to know that in them they are able to overcome death. And when death shows up to face a son, life puts death on his face. I want to show you something in John chapter 4, and I want to show you something in Jesus' life, and then we'll hopefully close. See, I, I always say that if you can find it in the life of Christ, you should be able to find it in yours. And a lot of people study the Scriptures thinking that Jesus came on the scene full of complete power and authority. Actually, that's not true. He had to grow just like we did. You look at his miracles even, they were, they, they were progressive. He didn't just start off raising the dead. He didn't even start talking about the cross until halfway through his ministry. Why? Because they weren't able to handle it. See, love has to be established before the, before the call to die. Otherwise, the call to death is just sadistic. But if it's in the context of love, it makes sense. So he, he lived with them long enough for them to fall in love with him, and he goes, now, now follow me where I'm going. See, in discipleship, you've got to love people so they have a context for the death that they're going to face. And then whenever they see that death in you, they understand that I have to do the same thing. You see how he, see how she sacrifices themselves for, for everybody? I have to do the same. See, the love of God is the gateway to the value of suffering. No love, no value. If you're trying to suffer for Jesus without loving him with a, with a whole heart, or if you're trying to suffer for people without loving them, you're, not, you're never going to make it. You have to pray for a love for the people you're called to. John chapter 4, when the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, uh-oh, <laughs> they were upset. Jesus' ministry is growing and theirs is getting smaller. Jesus himself didn't baptize, but his disciples, what? He left Judea and departed to Galilee. As he needed to go through Samaria first, he came to a city in Samaria called Sychar near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and therefore Jesus now being wearied with his journey, he sat at the well, and it was about the ninth hour, verse 7, a woman from Samaria came and drew water, and Jesus said to her, give me something to drink. See, what the Lord desires for himself will automatically be satisfied whenever you receive what he's trying to give you. So let me show you this. Is Jesus God? But is he flesh? Okay, you understand that this was the first time, well, not the first time, but this, this was the first time collectively in his life that he had, had to undergo what we had to undergo. See, in the Old Testament, God knew intellectually about humanity, down to its core structure and DNA strand. But he did not know experientially about how to, being a human. Right. You get that? Yes. There's a difference between knowing about something and becoming that something. So you have a gospel you know about, but, I, but many of us haven't become the gospel we say we believe. What does, the word, what does the word say? It says, when the word of God became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us, right? The thing is, is that God's word, though able to be understood, is never the goal. God's word is always meant to become incarnate. In other words, if it doesn't have its goal in flesh, if it doesn't manifest in it becoming who I am, it hasn't had its full manifestation. So the word that you think you know, if it hasn't become you, you don't know what you think you know. In fact, you're just deceiving yourself about what you think you know because you don't have the power to wield it because it has to be embodied. This is what Jesus was. He was the embodiment of the word. Every action he underwent and everything he did was the word being released, not just merely being taught. He was the demonstration of God in humanity. He was the idea that God had always intended but had never manifested. 
Jesus was the perfect human. But even in his perfect power and strength, back up one verse. He was tired. (laughs) See, you think you have a bad day. I'm wore out, man. I don't know what to do. And you make it about yourself. And Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. See, your weakness will always bring you to a place of another's need. But if you make it about yourself, the woman stays thirsty. There's some people in your life who are still thirsty because we've made it about us. And you're the only one to give them something to drink. Remember when Jesus brought them the 5,000 and was going to feed them? You realize, you guys, people who have been here a while, you guys hear me say this a lot, but you realize that 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 wasn't Jesus' miracle. That was never supposed to be Jesus' miracle. Scriptures say, he says, you feed them. The fact that they didn't and couldn't in their own mind means that their mind wasn't renewed to the call of God. The call of God takes a renewed mind. If God calls you, he expects you to use his mind, not yours. So within the power of the mind of Christ is the power of the call to fulfill the word of God. If you go out on your own reality and your own theology and your own strength and your own might and your own authority, you're going you're to mess it up. You're going to hurt people instead of give them life. Make sense? I don't, I don't put anybody in ministry who I see any shred of a, of, of a broken identity in them at all. I won't do it. Why? Because all they'll do is begin to domineer everybody around them and make them serve them to offset the, the broken identity that they possess. They'll become dictators. Even Paul says, don't lay hands on men suddenly. In other words, don't you put them in authority. He says, don't put anybody in authority who's young and immature. Why? Because he'll be lifted up with pride. The devil will take him down. Guess what? When the devil takes him down, he takes the congregation with him. Hmm. These guys guys that get saved four or five years in, they think they know everything and they want a ministry. No, you ain't ready, son. You need to die. You need to suffer for people. And if you haven't found the value of the widow's might, you'll never hold the microphone correctly. You understand what I mean by that? You've got to serve God when no one else sees you and you take what's little that you've got and you put it in, you put it all in. Whether, you know, whether man sees you or not, you say, God, I'm all in on this little thing. I'm going to give everything I have to this and I'm here to serve the temple of God, which is the people of God. Not another man's ministry. Make sense? He says, there just came this woman to draw water. Our weakness brings us to the posture of authority in someone else's life. So you think you're tired and broken and sitting there at your life and circumstances, your marriage, your finances because you did something wrong or somebody else does something wrong against you or whatever it might be, but God says, no, you're right there because someone else needs you to be there. That makes it worth doing, doesn't it? You realize, wait a minute, this is, it's not about me. Somebody around me needs me. They need Jesus in me. I'm the solution, not the problem. But you're not perfect. Jesus doesn't command me to be. That word perfect means complete. That's what he did, not what I do. You know, it was Moses who uh, was able to deliver people from Egypt. You know why? Because he grew up in Pharaoh's house. You know, some of y'all are bitter at religion and what it did to you. (laughs) But you don't understand, God placed you in that, not so that you could consume your bitterness on how it did wrong to you, but so you would know every nook and cranny of that place. That way you can go find all those souls locked in that palace and lead them out. (laughs) That's what happened to me. And I'm pretty good at it in Jesus' name. 
I break off the mind of the devil in you in Jesus' name. See, when I preach, you can see things shifting in people's minds. They're like, oh, wait a minute. I never thought about it like that before. Do you know why you never thought about it like that before? Because you're so used to Pharaoh's house. You don't know that you're a son who's been placed in darkness to take out Goliath. So then the devil keeps you chasing your tail, trying to be good enough Christian for him, which will never happen. Try to be worthy to to deliver the people that you're called to. You aren't worthy. He is through you, so go do it. (laughs) Moses wasn't qualified, was he? And when he gets in the presence of God, you know, he starts telling him everything he can't do. I can't talk, and I can't do this, and I can't. God's like, dude, if I, (laughs) I wouldn't have called you if you weren't the man. The Adamic mind only sees what it doesn't possess. The mind of Christ only sees what God possesses. You need to get to a point in your life where your knee-jerk reaction is to what God possesses through you, not what you don't possess without Him. Stop telling yourself you're not with Him. Now, if you need to get saved, then get saved. If you're backslidden, it's simple. Come to Jesus. It's not complicated. Just believe in your heart again that God is for you and he's given a sacrifice worthy enough for your sin. I mean, we make salvation the prime issue of Christianity. That's God's job. Our job is discipleship. Getting saved is easy. If you're truly saved. That's Jesus' job. Getting people to believe the salvation that Jesus gave them, that's somewhat hard. It shouldn't be, but it is. (laughs) They spend the next 25 years being saved by grace trying to work into the grace that saved them. I don't understand that, but it, it happens all the time. Philippians chapter 2, fulfill my joy, verse 2. Be like minded, have the same love, be of one accord, be of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife and selfishness and pride, but in lowliness of mind, let everyone esteem somebody else better than themselves. Let not every man look on his own things, verse 4, but let every man be concerned about the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. What mind? The mind he just said and the mind he's about to continue with who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. (laughs) Do you get what that's saying? That God's given you the right to act and to work and to be like him in this earth and not make it about yourself. Look, I didn't call myself a son. Jesus did. That's not just a title. That's an identity. That's DNA. That can't be, you can't choose your DNA. (laughs) The Bible says we were born again, not with corruptible seed, but incorruptible. And I've said this over and over again. That word seed literally means sperm. You were born by the sperm of God. You don't get to choose your father. Your father gets to choose you. And it's rebellion to see yourself in any other light than he sees you. He, but listen, he, even though being equal with God, watch, verse 6, being in the form of God, he thought it not Robert to be equal with God, but verse 7, he made himself of what? No reputation. That's what all pastors and leaders and ministers are trying to do. Look at me. Just value me for a second. Tell me, convince me that I'm important because I'm not convinced myself. Brother, I've got the word of the Lord because I want you to tell me I'm important. You know how people will know you're important? When you take off their shoes and you wash their feet. Amen. <laughs> then they'll go, man, this guy, something wrong with this guy. How can he love me like that? Being found in the fashion of a man like us, right? 
He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That death brought life in us. Death worked in him. Life worked in us. I want to be like Jesus. Death is going to work in you. Life is going to work in someone else. And because of this, God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. You want to be exalted? Serve God's people. Suffer for them. Die for them. Wash their feet. Do the things that nobody else sees. With me? John 13, verse 14 and 15. I'm going to shut it down here in a second. It says, if if I then be your Lord and master, this is the foot washing thing, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do, do unto others what I've done unto you. Let me ask you this. When did Jesus wash his disciples' feet? At the beginning of his ministry or at the end? You ever wonder why? See, when I read the word of God, I don't just take it face value. I'm like, why does he do that? I'm always asking, why? Why did you do that like that? You see, not, Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. He doesn't just respond and react and just, you know, re- it's, it's a very calculated move. God is a genius. <laughs> He's just, wow. He's impressive. My father's a genius. I don't know about yours, but mine's pretty smart. Why did he wash his disciples' feet at the end? Because Jesus had to walk their journey before he had the authority to clean their mess. And you need to walk somebody else's journey so that you have the authority to clean up their mess. You need to walk with people for a while. And then you gain the authority to be able to take off their shoes and go, hey, I got this. You're okay. And it means something when you say that. Versus somebody who's just religiously trying to do it. You know, and this person's been with me. And if they say I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be okay. Because they've walked with me. That's why church is important. Community is important. I don't appreciate church hoppers. I know I get in trouble for saying that sometimes, but I don't care. You don't stick with somebody long enough. When you try to wash their feet, it'll mean nothing. But when you stick it out with them and you start taking off their shoes, they look at you and go, man, it should be the other way around, bro. You're like, no, this is exactly the way it needs to be. Does this make sense to you? So the best way to wash somebody else's feet is to be so intimately familiar with their road, their journey, their pain, their trials. See, Jesus told me one time, he said, Chad, it was my hunger in the wilderness that gave me the authority to feed the multitudes. Everybody wants to feed the multitudes without first experiencing the hunger of the multitudes they're sent to You want to show up and be the hero. Don't work like that. Some of the most anointed men and women of the gospel you will ever meet will be men and women who have suffered greatly. Where the church is excused why they don't have to suffer, they dive in head first and say, I will fill up that which is lacking in the body of Christ because my king is worthy and his people are worthy of his blood. So stop making it about you. It's not about you. I am expendable. I will die, so will you. God will replace us if he tarries. You're replaceable. (laughs) You are replaceable. So be so valuable that when you're replaced, everybody remembers through your disciples. That you live on through the people you've loved and served and washed. You with me? It was this journey in the flesh that gave me authority to wash the feet of the flesh. It takes becoming one with something to be able to fully bear and release that something. 
Somebody needs you to break through where you're at right now. Because as soon as that happens, those that are underneath you will break through as well. I know this isn't very popular, but literally you are kind of bound to the authority that you're under. If they're not growing, you'll only as grow as far as they do. That's why pastors are in a dangerous position so many times because they get to a certain point and they just kind of settle in. Hmm. I don't ever want to settle in. Because if I settle in and you stop where I stop, you can only be taught as far as you're being taught. That word disciple means a learner. And if you've reached a precipice or you've reached a threshold, there shouldn't be any, but there are some. There shouldn't be any, but there are some. Stop being bitter at your religion, your pain. Understand that that was the thing God took you through because you are supposed to be a deliverer. I'm going to share this. i got some other verses, but I'm done, so I'm going to share this one thing. When Moses was born... The devil knew something was up. <laughs> so he began to kill the babies. Because one deliverer is enough to free an entire nation. One. <laughs> Just one. And then Jesus was born. And the devil knew something was up. They started killing the babies. Because just one deliverer is enough to free a nation. And in the 1970s, the devil knew something was up. So he started killing the babies. Because it just takes one deliverer to free a nation. If you were born during the era of abortion, you are a deliverer. I didn't say this earlier, but while we were singing that one of them songs, it really broke me because I saw heaven open. And I saw this hole in the middle of heaven and all these babies were gathered around it. And they were singing that song with us. I saw the aborted babies. I saw the babies that didn't make it from mothers who wanted them. The miscarriages. I saw them all and I saw them singing that song with us. Because we're supposed to do what they were born to do. And we can't do that with an Adamic mind. Do not undervalue your life and think I'm just this or I'm just that. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. We are deliverers. We're intimate with pain so we can steer people through it. Not so we can blame somebody else because of it. You can stand with me, please. When I first started the series, I started with the reality that when Jesus came out of the, the wilderness, his first message was repent, which means change how you think. The kingdom narrative cannot be received if we're viewing God from ways in which he does not exist. We have to change how we think about him, about ourselves, about the value of others. Otherwise, the kingdom can never be established. It takes renewing our mind to usher in the fullness of the kingdom of God. And when the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, what it's saying is, get your mind to the point where it is the most invalu- the, the, the kingdom is the most valuable thing in your existence. Not your bills, not your pressures, not your finances, not your marriage. 
I say that to say I just want to give you 10 to 15 seconds before Jesus that if this hasn't been your mind you don't need us to lay hands on you you just need to change how you're thinking it's a decision God forgive me for making it about me make it about you and make it about others and give me grace and strength to make the journey between the two I'm not going to be perfect overnight and I need help renewing my mind but Holy Spirit you're within me and you've given me everything I need for life and godliness so I lack nothing I ask you to forgive me God I repent I change the focus of my life give me an eternal mind give me a mind that's not distracted with sin and pain and death give me the mind of Christ that I possess already it says in your word we have the mind of Christ not I we the body possesses the mind of Christ and each part has a different manifestation of that mind and we need the counsel of the body the counsel of the Lord the gifts and operation because when I'm dependent upon my brother it causes me to have to love him in a deeper way serve him in a deeper way by serving him I become more uh, more astute, more powerful, more brave, more courageous. When I see my brother succeed, I succeed. When the family of God has moved forward in the kingdom, the kingdom moves forward. The family business benefits when we're all operating and we're making each other the, the focus of our life. You need to be where you need to be so the family business can move forward. You have a place, you have a part. It's not for your personal glory. It's to serve. It's to love. It's to wash. It's to find the value of the might that the God has given you. And you throw it all in the basket for Jesus. So, Father, if there's anybody in this place that hasn't been there, their, their operation, I ask that you just wash them right now and let them know you're not angry with them, but you're there to teach them, to lead them, to guide them, to expose it. And you'll be with them to strengthen them and give them grace. Bless them, Father. Keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them, my Father. Give them peace. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.